welcome to the Everything Went Black podcast. For this episode, my buddy Justin of Heavy Metal History joins us. This is a swap cast episode, meaning that it'll go up on both shows and um, the attempt is to spread the word to other like-minded people. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Heavy Metal History podcast, it's a topical exploration into the background of various metal bands and their records. A while back, I was a guest and I had a blast. Before we get going, I want to thank everyone who has supported the show on Patreon. It means a lot to me. It definitely helps. And if you want to get involved in supporting the podcast for as little as $1 a month, you can make a difference. In addition to making you feel good about supporting the show, there's a bunch of free stuff, downloads, you know, stuff like that that you can get as um, an exchange for supporting the show. One of those things is the Lifetime of Gray Skies audiobook. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, there's a Bandcamp page, everythingwentblackmusic.bandcamp.com. And that audiobook, as well as the Stockton tapes, a demo of The Grand Annihilation, is available for purchase, or you can stream it. That, all that material, is available to you for free, in addition to other downloads, if you join up on Patreon. I'm not sure how you guys are listening to this, but um, in addition to streaming it on the site, the show is available on iTunes, Google Play, and most recently on Spotify. You can also check it out on Stitcher and um, you know, pretty much everywhere else on the, on the internet that you listen to podcasts. This episode, as well as all episodes, is brought to you by Savage Gold Coffee. If you love coffee, head on over to savagegoldcoffee.com and pick up a bag. And now, on to the episode. I'll let you start off, man. Yeah, sure, man. So the last time we spoke, you were living out in Portland. So uh, are, you're back on the East Coast now, right? Yes. I moved back to Tennessee, where most of my family is. Uh, I had a bit of a tumultuous year, failed relationship, failed jobs, couldn't cut it there anymore, and just decided to leave it. So where are you at now? Are you, are you in like, you know, did you move away or, you know, or what's... Uh... Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm living with a friend in Tennessee. Just decided to move away from there and come back here. You know, all my friends live here, so it was nice to like come back and have like a friend circle again. Um, it was it's been pretty nice being back here. The city's grown so much since I left. It's it's beautiful. There's so much to do here now. I love it. Cool. So the podcast, Heavy Metal History. How long have you been doing that? You know, I was uh, looking back on episodes, especially when you came on the podcast, and I realized it had almost, it's been a little over a year since you were on, and you were about episode seven, I believe. So it's been about a year and a half now that we've been doing this. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Any uh, any favorite favorite guests you had on there? You know, I'm always, I'm always surprised by some of the people we can get. And uh, I think my favorite that I've done so far this year was talking to John Hunt from Dead to Fall. Like he he went like way down into the nitty gritty about their uh, final album, Are You Serious? 
and just like told me everything about it, everything that he could possibly remember, what all the songs are about. It was about as in-depth as anybody could possibly get. And I was just like, this is exactly what I'm looking for for the podcast. And it couldn't have been any better. Um, I have one that I've recorded but haven't released yet with uh, a band that's actually from New York. Uh, you might know Imperial Triumphant. Oh, yeah. Those guys are great, man. Definitely. I love that band. Yeah. Yeah, I got to talk with Ilya and Steve, and that was just that was just a good conversation. Uh, we really just kind of like hit it off and started talking about like I don't know, just like their kind of music that they were trained that isn't really metal, and they're just like movies, and it was fun. It was a, it was a nice one. So that one's gonna be out like closer towards July. Yeah, they're one of the more interesting bands, definitely. That's that's um, kind of making the rounds these days, especially out of uh, Brooklyn, you know, that area. Um, you know, I saw them play the, for the first time maybe a year ago, and it was with uh, mm-hmm. Piron and uh, Artificial Brain. And I hadn't heard them before, and people were like, oh, yeah, you got to check this band out. I think it's right up your alley. And definitely they're a band that's right up my alley, man. They're awesome. Yeah, their music is so dense and complex that it's like every time you listen to it, you kind of hear something new going on in the background or some other instrument or layer that's there. I mean, you know, their album that came out in 2015 is like three years old. And every time I listen to it, I'm still like, oh, that is like that instrument. And, you know, this guitar part accentuates this. And it's it's a nice I love music like that. that You can like sit there and dissect. Now, when, um, you know, most people, when they start podcasts, they have some kind of idea about what they want to do. I mean, did you did you have like a fully formed sort of uh concept behind you know behind the uh, the podcast before you started it or you just kind of freestyle it <laughs> you know i thought i did <laughs> when i when i first went into it i was like you know this i feel like this idea of going month by month starting with black sabbath and kind of dissecting and talking about all the albums that came out after that it was a good idea but i wasn't putting enough time into the research in the beginning and we were just kind of getting like basic facts about albums and you know when we would have guests on it was more like tell us about your favorite records instead of like really talking about like the bands and what they're doing so i think after about six months um we started to change that a little bit and get a a lot more in depth with our uh research and everything and you know make sure when we're doing interviews or have people in bands on that like we have more like conversations with them as opposed to just interviewing them outright. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it's kind of unfolded and worked a lot better because I did kind of uh, listening back to it. Like we rushed into it like pretty hard, but I was so excited about the idea that I was like, man, we got to do this. We got to jump on this. And I'm kind of glad we did because there was a lot of podcasts that popped up around us that could basically be the same thing. new podcasts like almost every every week i hear about something new popping up and a lot more productions going into things and a lot more of like you know there's like a higher concept i think with a lot of the newer newer shows especially since like like big media Yeah, and I think the base idea was very sound. You know, nobody had really 
you know, the only other podcast that was close is a guy that was like going into just the genres itself and not really like going album by album like we were. And I, I think I took that based off of like a lot of podcasts that I listen to kind of do that. You know, I listen to like a lot of ones about TV shows or movies and they go episode by episode or, you know, year by year with something. And I thought that was a good format to kind of do this, especially for heavy metal. Uh-huh. And the, the the other thing that inspired it actually too was uh, the Bill and Ted films, because in Bogus Journey, like Rufus is basically a heavy metal history teacher, and I, I love that idea. I was like, man, that's like, I love Bill and Ted. Why not do that? Hmm. Yeah, so what we did is we started with Black Sabbath, their first record, and kind of just went through everything they put out up to 1980. So our first two episodes are just purely all about Black Sabbath. Uh, I do wish we did a little more research into those episodes, obviously in hindsight. We even recorded them twice. (laughs) Um, But then we picked up with January of 1980. So what we did after that is we just kind of went month by month for for a year and just talked about every album that came out in that month so then we went on to 1987 started in january of 1987 we just finished up 1987 last year and now uh we decided to kind of jump ahead to 1998 we've been going all over with the years now just because we kind of looked at it and we we're like oh man if we go in just like strictly linear order i don't think a lot of people are going to be super into like talking about all this old stuff right off the bat like we can go back to it once we kind of got people interested in the concept so now we're on 1998 where we just recorded our may episode of 1998 and uh working our way through a lot a lot faster this year um i think now that my life has settled down a little bit we can like we're we're way more consistent with our release schedule and i got all the research done probably within like two weeks and it's like really in depth and I would like message bands and be like, Hey, I'm doing a thing about this record. Any information you can give me or send my way would be greatly appreciated. And like, I've got some answers. I've gotten some, you know, just no replies or I've looked up books that have information in it. And I'm trying to do a lot more in depth kind of coverage of the stuff. And so that's kind of where it's at right now. Totally. Thank you. Yeah, I, I try. Mm-hmm. We are. Just, just because, like, while it's not, like, on the extreme end of metal, it still kind of has its place in the scene. Uh, even though it kind of gets looked down upon and talk shit about. And I, I get it. You know, I, I'm not like a super big hair metal fan. I like some of it. But I'm not going to sit there and ignore it like it it didn't exist or wasn't a part of the genre because it was.
think this is the greatest band in the world, but it's like I um I kind of started listening to hardcore around that time, like crew, like you know, I was into like Bad Brains and all this other kind of stuff, and it was really. But I still was like kind of nodding my head to it, I'm like yeah, this is actually kind of like kind of like all right. But I hated hair metal for most of my life, with the exception of Guns N' Roses, who I consider to be a different type of band. They're a rock band, like a hard rock band. And uh, yes. I agree. A former drummer that I played in, in, in Tombs was a huge hair metal fan. And I think that in the last like couple of years, I kind of... Okay. No, I kind of feel the same way too because I know growing up I wasn't really into it either. I I still to this day just like really, really don't like Guns N' Roses and it's not because I think that like they're bad musicians or anything. I just think it got really overplayed for me at a certain point in my life. So I just can't. But, you know, if you look at like a lot of those guitar players that were in those bands, they're they're solid guitar players. They're, they're no slouches at what they do. And, you know, they were in that era of like, guitar solos were everything yeah actually and i think uh, that goes a long way the argument yep Yeah, I think the only two guitar riffs that people can kind of remember by Rat are the one from uh, Round and Round and She's Only 17, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that is Winger. No, that's fine. It's a, I was like, wait, I'm pretty sure that was wrong Like as soon as it came out of my mouth. <laughs> Yeah. We actually, yeah, we've actually already done a couple episodes that have gone into the Dio years and the the vocalists after that. I unfortunately I cannot remember their names, but uh yeah, we've covered those. <laughs> They're very interesting, man. It's you know, we've talked about this a few times where it's like at at what point does a band stop coasting off their name and just stop what they're doing and just start something new with the same members you know I, I know it's hard to give it up but there should have been a point where Black Sabbath was like can't or Tony Iommi should have just been like I can't do this anymore I'm just tarnishing the name here but I mean eventually you know when they got all the original members back it kind of it didn't really matter after that point it was like alright Ozzy's back they, they put out you know 
those those last albums and it was just business as usual so it just kind of like i don't know it didn't really matter that they went on with those other vocalists to me Yeah, Jolyn Turner and like all these names and different players and I think at one point Black Sabbath um, I think it was the Headless Cross record where it was Black Sabbath featuring Tony Iommi you know there might have been some like <laughs> Sharon Osbourne thing where he, you had to differentiate that this record was different than the ones that Ozzy sang on or something like that but um, wow it's kind of a fascinating story man because I mean I guess the story goes that Sabbath is never going to perform live again. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like the end of this like epoch of, you know, heavy metal music with that, you know, sort of final tour and all that. Yeah. I could, I mean, I'm not surprised because of like, you know, they're, they're all getting up there in age and everything, but I, I mean, what a way to go out too. I saw some of those like clips online and I was just like astounded that they were still, just going as hard as they did probably when they were like 18 19 years old yeah yeah they sounded great i saw them i didn't see them on the final tour but i saw them on like one of the last few tours they did and uh they sounded amazing man it was you know pretty awesome but you know ozzy they're still dragging ozzy around to for his final tour i think right now i think he's on it right now and uh that yeah dude, i think you're right that dude really needs to retire i feel in my opinion <laughs> Yeah, I've heard stories that, like, before he goes on stage, like, he's just so, he has a hard time walking, and, you know, his bones and joints are just going, but when he's out on stage, he's just, like, it's like nothing's wrong with him, and it, I I find that really interesting that he can just flip that switch like that, and he knows, like, I gotta put on this show, body pain be damned, like, I'm here to perform. In November uh, at Ozfest, at Detroit Ozfest, and um, I, you know, of course, I stuck around and checked checked the set out. And physically, he actually looked pretty good on stage, you know. And um, you know, recently I saw Judas Priest, and uh, like Halford oh, sounded yeah. amazing. He sat Rob Rob Halford. You can't you can't fuck with Rob Halford singing, but like he just looked a little decrepit, like physically. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, shoot, that band's been around for such a long time, too. It's just crazy to me that they, you know, it's 2018, and here they are still putting out albums. I, I never would have imagined that. Yeah, I mean, at this stage of the game, it's really just uh, just um, Rob Halford and, and uh, Ian Hill, I think. I mean, I don't think, Yeah. you know, they had Andy Sneap filling in. guy's great he's like you know totally shreds you know and they i don't know it's like i think as time goes on i'm more forgiving of like these these kind of like legacy stuff when i was like a lot younger and i because like when sabbath reformed i was thinking to myself i'm like ah oh, man this is like some cash grab like but at the end of the day it's like if they sound good if they go out there and and, and do a good set and you're enjoying yourself 
sort of like version of that. Yeah, I've noticed myself getting that way too because I'll listen to stuff or hear stuff and I I think about when I was like 20, 21 and how I would immediately just dismiss anything that was, wasn't inside my little circle of what I like to listen to or even just bands that like change members. I would just write them off like super quick and I, I don't do that at all anymore. I always give something a, a fair listen even if I have to listen to it like two or three times and I'll finally be like, okay, I get this album now. I get why they added this member, or this member left, you know, it's, I don't know, man, I think there's just so much good music out there too, I don't want to deprive myself of that anymore. Yeah, totally, you know, and it's like, and I, yeah, I did that for years. <laughs> you know, and seeing some of these older bands, it's like, I mean, this is something I, I gotta think about, like, in, in the big, like, sort of arena rock world, like, all of these bands, like Sabbath, you know, uh, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, they all had live albums that came out. Yeah. And so their playing and all that stuff had to be completely on point. You know what I mean? They had to be like a band that you can record live and have people enjoy that music and be like, wow, it sounds great. And honestly, man, it's like seeing that perform this day and age is like, it really puts perspective on maybe a little bit of the mediocrity. I feel like some bands bring to the table, you know what I mean? That are, that are big. Like, for example, I saw um, Iron Maiden uh, last summer and Ghost opened mm-hmm. for them. And Iron Maiden, like, you know, these are like men of advancing years. Like, lot of the stuff that they did I felt like was might have even been on tracks I don't know it's kind of kind of a underwhelming experience seeing Ghost Live and I know they're huge and people love that band but you know I don't really I don't count myself as a fan of that type of band yeah they just actually played here not even two weeks ago uh I didn't go see them because I'm I'm kind of in your same boat like I I get what they do and I definitely see why people like them but I just don't I don't get it I don't like it personally so I can see how like them opening for Iron Maiden just being like ridiculously underwhelming. Like running around the stage and singing, you kind of heard like the proximity of the mic. You know, you kind of heard him like uh, he's singing louder because he's like. He's like standing still. Now he's like running across the stage and jumping on this like pyramid. And it's like, okay, yeah, he sounds different. And it wasn't so much, it was just about the raw experience of live music with that band. And it's not this like perfect kind of simulation of the record, which I think is what Ghost is going for. But the ironic thing about it is that the band that is going for the raw live experience, if you were to. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I've even talked to a couple guys recently, too, that they talked about, like, when they're writing songs for the record, they leave spots open so that way when they play live, they can actually kind of, like, just riff 
like kind of freestyle off that riff or solo or whatever so that way when somebody sees them live it's different from the record to kind of add that extra like layer of unpredictability to it and I was like damn that's such a good idea like I don't know why more bands don't do that yeah I feel like the devil's blood was like that actually I don't know if you ever get a chance to see them when they were around but um no I never I never got to see them but I definitely listened to them oh yeah they're 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 like um you know they think I mean I'm a huge like heavy metal hard rock like seven like old school like 70s rock I'm a fan of that whole Mm -hmm. era and like I feel like the devil's blood really were like a modern version of a, of a band like say the scorpions or you know merciful fate with like incredible vocals and great guitar playing and all that sort of stuff and uh i saw them on that tour they do with watain and behemoth and um it was the same kind of vibe where i'm like man these th- these versions of the songs are different man it's like there's like space in there for like Yeah, that's that's a really awesome thing to do. I, I definitely think more bands should think outside the box a little bit like that. But I, you know, I get to like wanting to put on what you recorded because that's what people expect to hear too. You know, it's a it's a double edged sword. But uh, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting little thing, and I was like, damn, I don't know why I never like paid attention to that either. I I know there's been times where I've seen a band, and I've been like, wait, that song sounds different, but not really thinking like, oh, they probably did that on purpose. So are you going to stick strictly to like the metal like or, or are you going to do like hardcore or crossover or you know punk is that something that that you're interested in in the podcast or does that fall outside of the scope? No, I I absolutely am a big proponent of talking about punk and hardcore because I think they're basically related, you know, they're cousins. Uh I know some of our earlier episodes because we couldn't find a lot of heavy metal records. I was like, okay, well let's start going into punk and hardcore and you know, we talked about like some Bad Brains records, I think, and Black Flag. Um, I think coming up on like our 1998 stuff, I got Madball. Oh, cool. Uh, I think I think a Hate Breed record is on there. Maybe I'm thinking of 97. But there's definitely like some hardcore in there because I I I love hardcore. That was like the first thing that like really got me into metal, anyways. And I've always been more on the punk hardcore side of things, anyways. So. Yeah, I'm definitely adding that into the uh, lexicon for sure. Yeah, that's interesting, man, because a lot of people have entered into metal from from that world too, you know. And it's like, it's um, I think, I mean, for me personally, it's like I I kind of was into like heavy metal and hard and hard rock, and then I found out then like I got exposed to punk and hardcore, and uh, mm-hmm. so so I think that's why like for me I was more always more drawn to the um, the like more metallic. No, it's the same. It's just kind of weird because, like, back in the day, it was like the um, there was like a division between punk and hardcore. You know, like a real, yes, very very well defined, um, you know, set of set two sets of distinct people that you know were two very different scenes. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, you pretty much took the words out of my mouth. I was about to say that too because it's it was always interesting to me because even kind of when I was growing up, there was still that a little bit. It was like, you know, you can't listen to punk rock and metal, and I was like, why not? <laughs> you know, but it was like these kids somehow, you know, and this is in like 2001 that these kids still adopted this weird mentality of like you can only listen to this one genre of music and you can't go to the other side. I was just like, yeah, fuck that. I'm listening to whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, I watched like the, basically like the clip notes versions of them. I've dialed back like how many fights I watched just cause I gotten so burnt out. I pretty much only watch the main cards now, or if there's some crazy finish on like the Fox sports cards or something like that. And, I'll watch like recaps just so I can see what happened. I watch like so much combat sports that I don't know how I find time to do it. <laughs> I watch like Bellator. I watch UFC, UFC stuff. I check out like kickboxing. You know, I watch a bunch of the grappling stuff they have available. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I fit it in, man. But somehow I do. You know. No, I used to be that way, like, all the time. And then I think just, like, past two years, man, I just – I don't know what happened. I think I just got really, really burnt out on it, like, always, always watching fighting. And I was – you know, because I've, I've been watching since I was uh, in, like, seventh grade. Oh, wow. Damn. My – yeah, and I'm, like – I was, like, 15 then, 14, 15, and I'm 31 now. So it's that's a long time. But – it, it was always funny to me too, like how I started watching, because a, a buddy of mine had basically bootleg cable, uh-huh. so he got like all the pay per view channels for free. And one night he was like, "Hey, have you guys ever seen like Pride Fighting?" We're like, "No, what is that?" He's like, "Oh, like UFC." And we're like, "What is that?" He's like, "You guys need to come over to my house. I'm gonna show you some shit." And um, I don't, I don't remember exactly what pride card it was, but I know it was one of like the legendary ones, you know, with like one of the Grand Prix going on. Definitely a Crow Cop fight on there for sure. I remember that, but I don't remember which one. And just like, yeah, man, because like MMA was really sparse back then, so it'd be like every three months we'd go over to his house on a Saturday and watch like whatever Pride or UFC was on for pretty much all through junior high and high school. It was, it was pretty sweet. I agree. That probably would have helped in that uh, fight last night. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the highlights, but then I went back and I was like, all right, I'm going to check out like the whole thing just so I can get like a little better idea because, you know, highlights only show you so much. Ah, man. I don't know, man. It, Wonderboy has like this weird he's got that Machida style and I think people are like even though it's different karate people are still a little bit wise to it uh-huh. and they don't want to engage him and I think it makes him look bad on the store scorecards even though he's like doing damage to the other guy he's just really precise about it and I I don't know I just don't think it works in his favor even in those Woodley fights like 
it didn't work in his favor both times. Yeah, well, Woodley really understood how to shut him down, though. I mean, I don't, I don't really feel like Till successfully shut Wonder Boy down, though. That's the thing. Um, no. Yeah, I read something today about how they were talking about there was, uh, well, you know, he controlled the, he controlled the octagon, he controlled the cage, and I'm like, not really, man, because like, uh, Wonder Boy still did whatever the hell he wanted. It's like when you are are controlling the the cage, you're you know backing somebody up into a corner, or or, or you're backing somebody up into against the cage. Or you're cutting them off, or you're like controlling where they're going. But Wonder Boy just yeah. played the outside game, and I just think that it, you know Till was just too slow to really catch him. You know. Yeah, he's got that counter striking thing too, man. And that if you don't engage, you can't counter strike. So it's just like it's a it, it's a hard fight, no matter what. I mean, they all know he's going to try for some spinning kick or some. You know, like like what Machida pulled off against Vitor a couple weeks ago. Like he's got those kicks, man, and they're not they're dangerous. So I think everybody's just wise to it. It's the only problem. <laughs> I was like, he got taken down by a kickboxer, man. I mean, that's. It, Yeah, they yeah they've been focusing on uh, like Till missing weight a little too much, and then you know just a bad scoring instead of like what actually took place during the fight. Uh, it feels like at least from what I've been reading. But yeah, I mean, dude, it shows how much Wonder Boy's been really working on all aspects of his game. The fact that he was able to take him down like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's he's been training out on Long Island uh, at least part of the year with. Uh... Chris Weidman, Matt Sarah camp out there. So that's, and those guys are all like wrestling, jujitsu practitioners. So, you know, yeah. like getting on the mats with those guys definitely, I'm sure helped him out with, you know, with his, with his grappling. So, yeah, he's kind of, Yeah, so uh, it's it's really weird. It's actually coming up on ten years when I first when I did my very first tour. Um, basically, how it started is uh, there was actually a local band from here where I'm at called With Faith or Flames, and I was friends with all those guys. And they had an album coming out. They had a bunch of hype, and they got on this tour with uh, Kill When You Dead, Salt the Wound, Dance Club Massacre, and Carnifex. I, for 2008, that was like a pretty big tour, I guess. I don't know. But uh, they brought me along on that tour, and we had some unfortunate... Uh, I was doing merch for them, and like, you know, just general crew work, loading in and out gear, the usual stuff, counting of the money. Um, basically, near the end of the tour, we had a little trailer snafu and we couldn't really continue on with the rest of the tour so we were we were pretty close to home so we decided to basically abandon the trailer go back home and I was kind of bummed about it for a few days but I knew the tour was going to be finishing it off fairly close to here so uh, me and a friend drove up to that show is in North Carolina and um, you know I just got to talking with all the Carnifex dudes and they were like hey our, our merch guy's he doesn't want to tour anymore after this and we need somebody new like are you down and i was like fuck yeah are you, are you kidding me like of 
course. You'd say no more. Uh, so yeah, I mean, pretty much from there, I, I I toured with them for about five years until 2012, and I did like a couple shows in 2013 until they went on a little bit of a hiatus. Um, yeah, yeah, that was quite a few years. So good times. Yeah. Yeah, they've. I I love that they've. At least for me, they've really. I don't want to say they're strictly deathcore anymore. Like, yeah, they still have the breakdowns every now and then, but they've done a really good job of changing their style to being like this blackened death metal with breakdowns. I don't know what to call it. You know, it's just. I, I feel like they're a cut above most deathcore bands because they're not just playing purely breakdowns anymore, which I guess that's still a thing that people do nowadays. Well, that, that scene, um, man, is, like, one of the most, like, awful scenes. I mean, I don't know if you like any of those bands, but for me, it's just... Aside from, like, you know, Fit for an Autopsy, who we toured with last year, I think, are another band oh, yeah. that have taken that that genre to a, to a better place. And I think that, as a band, that I, I see them more going into like maybe a gojira kind of vibe than than you know like some of the other bands and that's Yeah, their stage show that that was a cool thing that they added over the past couple of years. It's it's a nice little addition to like their whole repertoire, and it, it fits the music, I think. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Deathcore is weird. Like when I was younger, I was super into it, and then I was like, ah, this is cancer music. I don't ever want to touch or listen to it again. So I stopped listening to it for a long time, and then over the past couple of years, like I'll hear bands, newer bands, every now and then, and I'll I'll listen to them kind of check them out but i i don't go out of my way to like not support i don't want to say support but i don't know i just don't i passively listen to it i guess i'm not like embedded in it anymore yeah i mean there was another band uh thy art is murder was on that on that show there was like they played um right underneath uh dying fetus and i guess i mean that was the tour package i think it was thy art is murder and diving fetus and uh, Rivers and Nile, who's another band I really like, and um, it's like I was watching them play. I, I'm not—I I didn't enjoy their music, but I can see why people respond to it, though. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, I mean, I'm trying to—you know—I'm not trying to just come off like some elitist or anything like that, but it's like, it's not my thing. But A vibe that yeah 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 no I absolutely I mean having toured with those kind of bands for so long I I remember what it was like seeing like all those beat down pits and <laughs> just break down after breakdown all night 
it's i mean it's something else man but it, i don't know it gets really boring after a while to me that's kind of the reason i just stopped listening to it it wasn't catching my ear anymore Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember we've played a couple shows of them like way back when, and I, I had the same sentiment where like I saw their shirts and I was just like, who the fuck would wear this? You know, like it just really like the one that I always remember is it was like a, I think it was like a yellow shirt, and it said, ask your girl what my dick tastes like. I was just like, well, people fuck. People that at New England Metal Fest, and I was like, damn, what the fuck is oh wrong with you Oh, my God. Guys? You know? And, um, yeah. So uh, gross. The whole day was actually, I, you know, it's funny. I was I was there uh, selling Savage Gold stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. like this kind of um you know very uh ignorant kind of um you know knuckle dragging sort of uh you know flavor <laughs> to that evening you know what i'm trying to say so yeah i don't know it's a little bit much for me yeah well, i guess it's i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that that scene hasn't changed that much <laughs> probably a bad thing i would think you know, uh, I mean, yeah, the, good, the one thing not I could far say, off from how it was when I was doing it. The one thing I can say is that it probably is like an entry point for a lot of younger kids to get into metal. And I just like, you know, I know that, you know, when I was like a young kid, I was definitely there was some questionable taste, you know, decisions I might have had, like, you know, some stuff that like. Yeah, and I think you need bands like that as you kind of go along because it kind of it, it shows you not only like what's kind of status quo, but it also lets you know that there's better stuff out there. And th I think those bands are equally as important as the good ones or the, the bad ones or even the run-of-the-mill ones. It's like a nice little gamut there. You know, and it was I think that was kind of one of the goals of us doing that tour with them is to kind of cross pollinate like with a different type of band because even the even the opening band on that bill was this band Moontooth who was uh, oh they're awesome oh they're great man they're like this totally different like three completely different bands are on that bill and it was you know Moontooth was um, first of all Nick the guitar player in that band is a, a, a rock god like that guy is like one of the 
meanest guitar players I've ever seen live, man. That dude is like, I mean, he plays in that band Riot. You remember that old heavy metal band? He's, no. Oh, oh man. Oh, okay. Riot actually is. One I'll have of to the, check them out. I think they're they're a, a early metal blade band, and they um are like a hard rock band, like old school. And Nick joined the band. You know, he's a young guy. You know, it's like we were talking about mm-hmm. before. There's like all these like legacy bands that have like these young dudes playing in them, and he he's a guitar player in this band. In this band. can name like 10 different bands that I like that are mixed into what they're doing and that's always a good thing instead of it being like all right cool this band sounds like Morbid Angel you know whatever this band sounds like you know Agnostic Front or something you know what I mean you can pick out like the one or two records these guys are into but with Moontooth it's like I'm like man what are these guys even into man like what kind of like I heard all these different elements in their music and when I went to go talk to the dudes in the band I was like oh yeah you guys like sound like you know shudder to think you know and they're like oh I never heard them man are they any good and I'm just like oh yeah familiar with them too yeah yeah I think yeah that, like you said that guy's guitar playing like I so I'm very I'm very risk adverse when I first listen to a band, especially if they have singing and it's supposed to be like a little bit more metal. So it takes me a, a solid like four or five times listening to a record. Like I literally I have to force myself to listen to it. It's a weird thing I do. I I was like not super into it at first because of vocals, and I was just like digging the hell out of his guitar playing. But then once I listened to it more and I realized how much in tandem those two things go and how much his vocals complement the playing style. I was like sucked in after that and I would always be like showing people them or like trying to play it at work be like yo you got to check out this band they're just like fun they got a good energy about them too like when you listen to those songs they're just like fun songs yeah they're all great musicians to boot which is always you know great when there's great players they write good songs and like you know it's especially when the um the material is like unnoticeably technical you know what I'm trying to say it's, yeah it's like you're not really it's not like okay we're playing these odd times and playing these crazy scales and stuff and you notice that but when you're you're listening to the song and it's just like a good rock song and then when you listen to it for like doing these like cool little and I'm like it's like this whole I mean it's a totally different type of band but like Soundgarden how they would have these like disguised like technical timing things going on in their songs and that's kind of what Moontooth does I think you know yeah yeah I'm really excited to see what they do with their their new material it's they're working on or I think is done if I remember correctly I could be wrong yeah yeah they just wrapped up the studio I I saw I saw I ran into Nick uh a few like about a month ago maybe and he was saying that how they're they're basically wrapping up their uh their mixing and stuff so yeah nice
Uh, oh yeah. Oh, as I know, I was gonna say earlier too. I agree with you about fit for an autopsy. How they're like they're doing a really good job of trying to like push the genre a little bit into a different direction, but also their sound. I think with every record they they put out, they've evolved more and more and more. And it's it's always a treat to like hear the records because I remember listening to that first record and it was pretty straightforward deathcore, and then the next one came out and it was way different, and then the one after that was way different, and this new one's way different. So I. I really admire that they've taken chances on every record because not a lot of bands will do that or can do that. Yeah, you know, and and it's like the thing is, is those guys are like a little bit older than a lot of the other bands that are in that scene too. I mean, yeah, you know, Pat, the guitar player, he's like an older guy, and they used to before they had Joe Bad singing for them, they had this guy Nate Johnson, who used to, oh yeah, Nate used to be in uh, Premonitions of War, like seriously killer heavy like metallic hardcore band from from ohio that um yeah they were like one of my first bands i got into yeah they were great right there that's the record on victory and you know it was like they're a great band and and there's like a little bit more depth i think to like the band than than say some of the others that were just like a bunch of dudes trying to play deathcore you know what i mean and uh yeah i don't want to slam anybody too hard but like you know what i'm saying right yeah yeah no i i get you there yeah there's no reason to like throw people under the bus exactly you know except for a muir and their t-shirts and just that (laughs) ignorance which is something that like i don't know that 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 i'm like i'm pretty i'm very open-minded and have like a very like wide bandwidth of things and i'm not offended by it much you know but like that that shirt just bummed me out dude you know there's some levels of ignorance that just i just can't get behind you know what i mean and uh i made me like really think that band like was kind of like you know lowest of the lowest common denominators out there you know I haven't even heard them. I don't even know what they sound like. Like, I just know that they're. You know, I gotta, I gotta ask, man, because I know when you were on my podcast, we, I know this is like a little swap cast here, but I didn't really get to ask you too much about tomb stuff. Cause I know you were in like the early stages of, kind of releasing or working on the grand annihilation um but i know one thing you know we we kind of like to do now is like really get into the history of bands and stuff like that and you know i know listening to your podcast you've talked about like your previous band anodyne a lot too and you've done like that that audio book which is rad uh what i mean at this point, it's been a year since Grand Annihilation came out, almost right in yeah, June. Basically, yeah. It's a. I mean, we're almost in June now, so yeah, the record came out in June, so it's been about a year. Yeah. How does it feel being like a year removed from that? I've always wondered. You know, you put all this work into it, and now you're like a year removed from the thing being released. Like, does it still still kind of feel fresh and and new to you, or is it just kind of marinated a little bit more into like? just the status quo of the band it's pretty much all those songs seem ancient to me at this point because like you know the record came out a year ago so like we started writing it like 
over the year prior to that you know what i mean so it's like mm -hmm. some of those songs um have existed in one form or another for at least two years and uh the songs themselves and like the execution of them actually you know way past it at this point i mean where i we actually have almost like five songs written brand new so uh you know I'll, like i'm always going forward anyway and we, we toured yeah. we did like several u.s tours last year on that material and i've played most of those songs into the ground at this point i feel like you know yeah i remember dude because when you you guys were gonna play seattle and i drove all the way up there with my ex and as soon as we get there, I get an email saying the show is canceled. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, yes. Like, we just drove all the way here. <laughs> that was on the, uh, the Darkest Hour tour. I remember that. We were in Reno. Yeah. Actually, you, you know, it's even worse for us is, like, we actually just got on. We just joined up with that tour because we were only on. We started that tour in Reno. And we mm -hmm. uh, Rotten Sound was on the first leg of the tour. And then Rotten Sound went back to Finland and we took over for them, you know, their slot on the tour and started it in, in Reno. So, you know, Reno, horrible place, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, so we, we, we did a couple of dates out to Reno and then uh, the next three days got canceled due to like not being able to get across the mountains, you know, and we had Jeez. the Seattle show, Portland show, and we had a, um, like a, like a, just a headlining tombs date in, I think I'm gonna, Grant's Pass is that a place in, in Oregon? It's like a smaller town. Uh, yeah, yeah. Play there, and you know, and it just that sucks. You have three days off in a row, and you're stuck in Reno, Nevada, and then you can't. And even we stayed in Reno. I remember over that night we stayed without. Well, at that time, Ken Sorceron was playing uh, guitar on that tour with us, and we stayed at one of his buddies' houses, and then and we tried to. We, we, you know, we drove across the mountains and it was still like pretty treacherous, man. You know what I'm saying? Like there was like times where like, man, I don't, you know, this is like, I don't know if this is such a good idea to try to cross the mountains, but it was a real thing, man. It wasn't like, yeah, we don't feel like going to the Northwest. It was like a, a legit state of emergency and you could not oh, yeah. get across the mountains. And it was pretty scary actually. Like once we got to the, into the, into the mountains themselves, it was like ice real real treacherous situa situation man so yeah it was it was a thing it wasn't just like some frivolous like cancellation of the shows totally i i i understand that like a thousand percent man i always remember winter tours were like the most treacherous and gosh there was a canadian tour we did in the winter once and that was literally every drive nobody could sleep because everybody was scared of either hitting a moose or just driving off the road because of black ice it was not a fun uh, two or three weeks that we were up there. So actually, I, I get it. Actually, uh, you know, speaking about hitting, you know, animals, we uh, like a long, long time ago before I, before I was even in Anodyne, <laughs> I was playing in this this hardcore band, and we did uh, we played Hellfest in when Hellfest used to be in Syracuse, New York. We played uh, we played that, and you know, we were based in Whoa. Boston. It was the years I was living in Boston, and we were driving back. And I was asleep in the van. Everyone was asleep. And we were on uh, I-90, which is like an interstate highway. And uh, some dude was driving and, like, you know, everyone was passed out, tired. And 
I wake up, boom. We, there's like the van smashes into something and I'm jarred awake and I get up and I look and the windshield is covered with blood, right? And I was oh. like, what the fuck, man? I was like, I thought we like, someone got murdered or like we got, we're getting abducted by aliens or something. I don't know, like some crazy shit. You like wake up out of a dead sleep. And uh, apparently, so we pulled the van over and like some big deer with like horns, you know, like the big antlers and everything. Like yeah. it was like, according to the driver, you know, and I, this is what I was told later that the, 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 the deer was like running alongside the van and tried to cut across and smashed into the van and just totally demolished the radiator. So we were like oh basically stuck on the side of the road. So like the van is like covered in blood and like we walked back to like, uh, to check out the deer and the carnage, you know what I mean? And uh, deer, yeah. the deer is just like fucked, like destroyed, dude. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> That's like what happens when you're doing like 70 miles an hour and some human, like some animal like steps in front of the car, man, or the van, the van in this case, you know? And that, that was like, you know, a pretty harrowing experience. And, you know, we had, we were supposed to play the next night in Boston and we, I think we, pretty sure we missed the show but it was like we were stuck in whatever town in like new york state overnight and we had to get towed to like to get it fixed because you know you can't drive a vehicle without a radiator so yep <laughs> yeah wreckage stories man like definitely be careful out there you know yeah that's that was always one of the most terrifying things to me uh i <laughs> i already have like bad sleeping problems and i think they just got worse over the years because of you know how many things like you would see people like falling asleep at the wheel a little bit and just veering off and you notice the the vans veering you know you can feel it or hitting little things in the road or tires blowing out and gosh i remember one time this truck like an 18 wheeler got too close to us and ripped off the fender on our trailer and just like everybody thought the whole thing was going to flip over and uh man that was that was pretty fucking scary. Tire got blown out too on it. Oh yeah, man. Blowouts Ugh. are the things that terrify me the most. And thankfully I've never experienced that in a vehicle that I've been traveling in as a, as a blowout. You know what I mean? Like I've had flat tires and, you know, ice storms and, you know, like run off the road and all that kind of stuff, but never like a blowout. Like that thing is like terrifying to me. You ever ran out of gas? <laughs> Yes, actually, I, I ran out, not not on tour. Actually, oddly enough. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I ran out of gas. Actually, this is really funny, man. Like I was coming back. Uh, this is a while ago. Um, in in um, I was going to my parents' house, and it was late at night, and they live outside of New York City and uh, above Westchester County. And anyone out there who lives in like the White Plains area might might be familiar with this. But like, I'm driving up across. Uh, it's a Route 684. And I realized that, like, oh, man, I should have filled up on gas, you know what I mean, before I did this, like, little voyage. And there's, like, a run, there's a stretch of highway where there's not a single gas station. Or there, if the ones, there are gas stations, but they all close. Like, they close early. Mm -hmm. And I found out the hard way which ones did and which ones didn't. Because what happened was that there'd be a sign for, like, a Texaco station. And I'm like, all right, cool. Get off. Drive, like, eight miles out of the way. Closed drive eight miles back to the highway continue now i'm getting to uh let's see what the town was i think it was uh 
don't know, Katona or something like that. And I'm like, oh, man. It's on, like, it's, like, it's been on, like, empty for, like, the past, like, 20 minutes. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like I know that I'm really running out of gas. Because, you know, you're on E, and you can squeeze, like, 10 miles or 15 miles out of that sometimes. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, if you're you know, lucky. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, when you really push it. And I'm like, I've been, I've been on <laughs> yeah. E for like a while. And I'm like, any minute now, this van is going to just like run out of gas. And sure enough, once I got into Katona, I was like, oh, man. Yeah, I heard it just I was started losing power. And I just pulled over and I ran out of gas. And I had to call AAA. And that was a real drag. You know, it was late at night as it was, you know. Hey, at least you had AAA. That, that's extremely helpful. You have to have AAA if you're doing this stuff. And <laughs> it's like... It's, yeah, that saved my ass so many times over the last you know two decades of my life, man. Having AAA, you know. What about you? You ever run out of gas? Yeah, there was there was two times that I know of. Uh, the one that I remember most was like we were going somewhere in Arizona, and there was just a long stretch of highway where apparently there was no gas station, and we didn't know this. So whoever was driving, we we did actually stop at a gas station before we got on this long stretch of road. And he was like, ah, we'll be fine. We'll drive another 30 minutes and I'll get gas. And this was kind of before, you know, GPSs were a big thing or even phones that you could look up. Like if there was gas stations, still in the early days a little bit. So we start, we start driving down the highway and one of the other bands we're on tour with is kind of like right next to us. And we're like fucking around with him between the windows like mooning him and throwing ball, piss bottles and <laughs> you know all that shit and the next thing we know uh we start slowing down and we're like why are we slowing down and we hear Corey in the front he goes ah fuck we're like what, what what's going on he's like we just ran out of gas everybody's like oh Corey, like come on man like how did you how did you not get gas? And he's like, well, I thought there'd be a gas station closer. And uh, but luckily, because the other band was next to us, we had them drive to a gas station to get us gas and then come back, fill that up, and then drive to that gas station, which was it was still pretty good ways away. I think it was like a good 10 or 15 miles, if not more. Oh, yeah, man. that, that uh, I'm well aware of that stretch of country, man, because that's like – where I mean I learned like a long time ago I uh, I learned that you never let the gas gauge get below a half a tank in that part of the world you know what I mean it's like I remember a long time ago this is when it went when, with anodyne when we were touring um, you know we pushed it a little bit you know it's like oh cool you know there's a gas station coming up we're on like just above E and uh, mm-hmm. we pull in and like the the gas station was like maybe maybe 20 years ago there was a gas station there it was like one of these like they had a mobile sign but it was a completely abandoned like building you know what i mean you might have run into this stuff Mm -hmm. in that part of the country too because there's shit like that everywhere in in like new mexico you know west texas and like arizona there's like yeah man like 20 years ago there used to be a mobile station here and uh (laughs) so we're like what are we gonna do man like we're we're like and then it said something like 60 miles away was like the next, you know, the next fuel, like on the highway. Once we got back on the highway, they'll say things like that. They'll be like next, next fuel, like 40 miles or something. You know what I mean? So we knew that we had a stretch and we were just above E, man. And, and like, or maybe it wasn't 60 miles, but I just remember like stressing out 
and it was during the day and it was the desert and it was summertime and it was just like there was no water in the van of course you know so i remember feeling dehydrated too and just getting that weird oh man my, my eyes are so dry and i have a headache and like so what's going on? I'm like, this must be what dehydration feels like, you know? And I, but I wasn't sweaty, you know, because it was evaporating. It was so dry. And needless to say, we managed to find a gas station. And ever since that day, I live by this rule of whenever you're in the Southwest, do not let the gas gauge get below half a tank. Always have a gallon of water. And so since then, regardless if we need gas or not, whenever I see it get to get to like a half a tank and we have an opportunity to fill up I pull in and I get more gas because I just the last thing I want is to get like stranded on the side of the road in the desert you know what I mean <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it, it's better safe than sorry I, I don't know what what he was thinking that day but uh, in hindsight it's still pretty hilarious that it happened <laughs> I think anyways <laughs> yeah I remember another stop at like a rest stop you know like there's like you know out in that part I forgot what highway that is but it's like um, you know, they have these rest stops where there's nothing there really, just like a place to go to the bathroom basically and like, you know, you know yep. like a, a picnic bench or something. And I just remember like staring out into the into the desert, you know, into this like thinking about like how lethal that was. I'm like, man, I'd be fucked. If I like walked out there within two hours, I'd be dead. I'd probably just be like this husk, you know, like I drop, I drop, you know what I mean? It just... I would find my demise out there is what I was feeling, you know. That one time, I remember there was like a, this kind of um, like an SUV with like a skin on it. You know how like people, use, they skin things and put advertising on it. And it was like some empty, mm -hmm. an MTV like, uh, you know, skinned vehicle. And they were like broken down or something like that at this rest stop. And I was like, Wow. Oh, yeah. You know why? It was because it was around South by Southwest. That's what it was. So there was all these people. Oh, yeah. All these people like going to like Austin and, you know, there's like you'd see bands and, you know, random people on the highways. And it was like some MTV like skinned SUV that was heading towards South by Southwest or something. And it was just like, I'm like, man, you know, good luck. <laughs> you know, like, hope, <laughs> hope you guys have water and electro, plenty of electrolytes, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. I've always been fascinated by the desert, too. Like, I, I don't know why, but, like, driving through it, I really like that scenery, even though I know it's just completely just death out there, like you were saying. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I just find it, like, soothing and calming looking, you know, as opposed to, like, snow and ice. Like, I fucking hate looking at snow and ice. Yeah, I agree with you because it's just different, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I spent my whole life basically living in the Northeast, you know, the tri-state area. So it's yeah. like, I know, I know snow. I know, I know winter, you know, and uh, I know, you know, the type of trees we have here and, you know, the Hudson River and like all that stuff. But so to go to the Southwest where it's like this completely alien landscape is like to be able to do that a couple of times, a few times a year is awesome, you know, because it is, it's pretty beautiful and breathtaking really. Yeah, I've never gotten to see, like, any of the sites out there, like, all the cool, like, canyons and, and things like that. I, I've always kind of wanted to do that. Yeah. Maybe I mean, sometime. I, I haven't checked Who anything knows? out either, man. It's like, like, I think the only thing I ever really saw was the Hoover Dam from a distance. You know what I mean? And um, we, were, we were thinking, on the, one of the last tours we did last year, we had, um, we stayed in this hotel, and we realized that we were, like, really close to the Hoover Dam. And we were like, oh, let's drive across the Hoover Dam. So we 
took the van and then you know we had a trailer so we got stopped by the security people and they were just like you can't come across with the trailer it's like go back and i'm like oh yeah that makes sense like I, we could have loaded this trailer up with ex- explosives and blew up the hoover dam and oh, the amount yeah. of devastation that that would cause i'm like okay i'm with you on that man i get you i understand you know so yeah, I've never really seen. I've been. We were a distance, you know. We saw it from a distance. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how I've seen most things too. Is always at a distance, unless like we just had extra time to go around a city or, you know, a day off somewhere that somebody's willing to drive us to a spot. But you know, that's the thing that people don't realize too. I think about tours like you're really in a van, like eighty five percent of the time, and then a venue the other like 10 or 15 percent and then the other five percent is just miscellaneous yeah totally i mean that's that's exactly right man and like you're traveling you're driving across something that looks you know i mean you could definitely appreciate the different areas of the country but it's not like oh hey man you guys are gonna be in san francisco you should go here here and here i'm like uh look here jack we're gonna show up at the show load-ins at four the the show the tour you know the, the venue is nowhere near any of these things you're talking about <laughs> and like yeah and then we're leaving you know and we're probably not going to sleep in the san francisco city limits because we have a trailer you know and it's just like you know san francisco is a beautiful city but you never really get a chance to go anywhere when you're there it's unless you have a friend who can drive you somewhere or like you know take you actually um in uh in Tur- uh, uh toronto vancouver actually we had some friends in that band bison I don't know if you remember them, Bison BC. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. the cool thing about it, we played at the rickshaw up there. And that, you know, that's literally that is in the neighborhood that has that. It's like a junky neighborhood. It's like one of the. Oh, seediest, I know the rickshaw. Yeah, it's like one of the seediest, you know, so, you know, the neighborhood the seediest areas of, of uh, Vancouver where they have like the needle exchanges and all that sort of stuff. So we got yep. there early. You know, we, of course, you have to be there you know, hours before the doors should start. And, um, you know, Dan from, from Bison, he's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'll come by and rescue you guys from that area. We'll go someplace nice. So yeah, he, Dan drove up and picked us up and we went to get sushi, like in some nice part of Vancouver, you know, coffee and like all that sort of stuff. But yeah, mostly you don't see anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The the rickshaw is one of those places that's like burned in my memory because of just how, I mean, I was appalled at how many needles just littered everywhere around that whole vicinity and just the the tent camp or whatever you want to call oh, it yeah. there. And uh, It sucks that people have to live that way, but, man, it, it also sucks having to just, like, deal with it, you know, with, like, the possibility of stepping on a needle or something like that. Like, I don't want that. Well, well that was the thing, man. It's like, you know, a lot of um... – you know how like a lot of dudes on tour like they'll rock like shorts and flip-flops you know what i mean like oh yeah you know that's like the look you know you just got flip-flops on when you you know during the day especially in the summertime so there's this big thing about like the tour managers like hey look guys you know like we're playing this place tomorrow it's like make sure you're not wearing make sure you don't have bare feet or wearing flip-flops because there might be a possibility of stepping on a, a needle and contracting the AIDS virus. So it was just like, you know, I'm like, okay, point taken, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like, I forget what year that was. We were there, probably like 2009 or 10. So 
I had never really seen anything to that extent in my life before. And then it was just like a very stark bit of reality that just slapped me in the face. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is a real problem here. I've never, ever seen anything like that. Until I moved to Washington, that is. And then I was finding heroin kits pretty much everywhere. Yeah, that's a problem in Washington State, isn't it? You know, it's like that's like yeah, it's really North, bad, man. The Northwest in general has like a big heroin like scene up there, from what I understand. Yeah, meth too now. Meth has made its way up there, and it's just equally as bad. The meth is Broken. everywhere, though. Dude. It's like, um, you know, the Midwest, the South, everywhere. It's like you see all these like public service kind of billboards everywhere. Even if you go to a gas station, it's like you know these like anti meth. You know, anti-opioid signs that you know it'll be like some dude's mouth with like fucked up teeth. You know, <laughs> and they'll explain to you that <laughs> this is what happens when you smoke crystal meth or something. You know, it's like not so much here in like the northwest, the northeast rather, in like tri-state area. It's not. I mean, I'm sure people smoke meth around here, but like, I don't. I don't know if it's a thing the way it is in other parts of the country. You know what I mean? But it's always trippy when you see that shit. Yeah, it, it, that's the one thing that I realized from traveling, man, is you just kind of see, like, different ways people live and, you know, different things people struggle with. And it's just like, you know, you think you have it bad where you're at, and then you see somebody living way worse. And it's just like, all right, well, maybe uh, this place isn't so bad. Yeah, so uh, actually, you know, it's sadly, we haven't really – our the only thing we had booked right now as far as tours go is just that bloodbath thing that we had just recently get canceled which i should be on right now actually (laughs) dude i know that sucks so bad i got i got an email about that tour and was supposed to like do an interview with the bloodbath dudes and then like probably two three days later i got an email that it was canceled and all the interviews are off and i was like fuck because i knew your band was going to be on that i was like oh that sucks and then the weird thing about that is so i i just listened to that podcast episode you did or just kind of you by yourself talking about that tour getting canceled. Yeah. And I just got done listening to it right when you hit me up about doing this. And I was like, that's just fucking weird. Like, how does that synchronicity work out? I'm trying to like fill my time with stuff to do now that the tours kaput, you know? So it's like, yeah, yeah, that, I'm like, it made sense to try to do something cool. Like while, you know, trying to fit things in, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, dude, it's like it's bad enough. It's you know, for us, it sucks obviously because we had to can't. We actually, we only had like eight dates like happening, and four of the dates were the uh, bloodbath thing. So it's like there was this gigantic hole, and for logistical reasons, you know, just like you know, we had we rent we have to rent a van, and like the thing got canceled like just at the last minute basically. So having to reorganize all that stuff. It just it just was prohibitive for us to do the dates we had booked already you know what i mean and uh, aside from the yeah. path dates and um but I, you know as bad as it is for us it's like i can't imagine i imagine bloodbath has lo- lost like tens of thousands of dollars on this thing if you think about it if you think about flights because they started out on the west coast there's like some fest, yep. da- fest dates out there so they flew from you know europe to california right and then they had flew from California to like you know whatever Maryland, and then back to Europe. So there's like three sets of flights they lost money on. There's like all the merchandise bill. I'm sure like 
that's not a small number either, you know. And then, oh no way! Yeah, I mean they, they, I mean that band probably moves a lot of merch, man. So it's like I imagine they had like you know, a ton of stuff ready to go for these dates because you know a lot of these dates, like just Maryland Death Fest itself, is like you could send you could sell thousands of dollars of merch just at Maryland Death Fest. You know what I mean? And like, that's all sitting in a box somewhere. You know what I mean? And that real realistically that box might be in the state somewhere you know what i mean like that box of merchandise there might be two boxes there might be a box in california and there might be a box in maryland that has bloodbath merch written on it that who knows will maybe they'll just hang on to it until they try to come back here again or something but that's all money spent at this point so it's like it's a real drag man you know but uh you know getting over it you know those guys definitely had took more of a hit on it than we did so of a fortunate that for us fortunately for us yeah yeah i mean at least you know at least you like you were talking about in your podcast you kind of see like the silver lining to it and that's not always an easy thing to do but man it, it, yeah there's expecting to do that one thing and then it just going away yeah. is always hard to deal with well you know part of it too is like you know there's obviously like you know the the business side of that you know what i mean and then there's like yep the actual side which is like the reason why you're playing a band is to go out and play shows and express yourself with like your you know the, the thing that you do like your your purpose you know and it's like you know i was gearing up to like fulfill like my purpose this week you know and now it's just like i'm not just like hanging around I'm doing this and that I got like you know nothing really to do I mean there's I mean there's always stuff to do but it's like I was gearing up to do something else and now it's just like dead dead space you know so it's kind of a drag but that silver lining is like the silver lining which there's a show in August that we just got offered and you know we were offered prior to that and we had to not do it because of this tour now we're able to do it, and I'm, I'm so tempted to talk about more about that, but if I say something now about it without it being announced officially by the, the other band, it's like, mm-hmm. it would be, uh, you know, it wouldn't be that cool, you know what I mean? So, I'll keep my mouth shut. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what band it was, and I still haven't been able to... <laughs> crack that code but <laughs> i mean honestly that's cool though man that you still get to do that show that i mean that is the silver lining right there yeah i mean i don't really i mean i i always I'm, i look forward to playing shows but it's very rare that i get excited about one show particularly mm-hmm. and this show i'm very very excited about because it's something that like is like one of these like uh you know bucket list things you know what i mean and it's like you know, we've played with Neurosis before, and that was a bucket list thing for me too, because they're like one of my favorite all-time bands. And this band is on par with that, and uh, and it's not Neurosis, obviously, because like, you know, we played with them a few yeah. times. But the, uh, but yeah, it's like it's it's on that sort of level for me. And um, I mean, I imagine in the next few weeks they'll probably announce it because the show's like in August, so I imagine in June they'll try to put the tickets on sale and all this stuff. So yeah, it's. Yeah, it's, it'll be announced in the next few weeks, I think. What is, what is the – how is the scene kind of thriving in New York? Because I know I was up there in December uh, to see those Dillinger shows, and we actually ended up going to um, St. Vitus to see High and Fire as well. Oh, wow. 
Cool. And it just seems like there are just shows happening all over New York. Like we are hearing about like the show over at this place and then show it over over at this place. And it's just like, is is there really that much going on there all the time, or is it just kind of like the season happened to be that many shows? Well, those Dillinger shows were in what December, I think. Is that when they were? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's odd that that many shows are going on in December in New York. And um, honestly, I mean, yeah, there, it's it's a major city, so it's like there's always stuff going on. But there's definitely been dry spells when it comes to extreme music, I think. you know. But then again, New York City is always on every tour schedule. You know what I mean? Every, like, True. Every A-market tour goes through New York City. So it's like you can see, like... You know, Morbid Angel. You can you're going to see all those bands. You're going to see the Neurosis, you know, lineup of a tour come through, and and yeah, I mean, I it's um, you know, definitely uh, spoiled, you know, for having access to all these shows, and uh, you know, because like there's other parts of the country where nothing happens. You know what I mean? Or you have to drive to different places to go see shows. Like our new bass player, Randy. He um he lives all the way up northern connecticut that's like on the border of uh, massachusetts and he's like yeah i have to he drives like hours to go see shows he'll go to boston he'll go to new york city you know there's like he's like never has he can't walk down the street and go see any bands play which you know is kind of the case in some major cities you know that's it's easy to get get kind of like spoiled by that but yeah there, there's a fair amount of stuff going on in new york as far as like actual bands um there's a lot of good bands like imperial triumphant's amazing I and mean, that's like one of the better i mean they're not a new band by any but they're a band that's like starting to kind of grow come to prominence i feel and they're they're like one of the best bands i agree I think. you know they're one of the best bands in the new york area um artificial brain it's another band that's awesome they're they're from uh Essentially, they're based out of like Long Island, but you know they play in the city a lot. And um, probably one of my favorite bands, like in some ways similar similar to Imperial Triumphant, because they're they're complex. Um, you know, definitely more on the death metal side, and uh, incredible musicians, and just like kind of out there like songs, and uh, very very great band. Just one, two of my favorites, and then like New Jersey. There's a lot of bands in Jersey. There's a band called Replicant that's uh, kind of like, you know, definitely a death metal band. They mm-hmm. have um, these kind of like uh, almost, they're very angular guitar parts, similar to maybe Gorguts or something like that. But not really. Ooh, I like not, that, yeah. Yeah, but not really like Gorguts. But like what comes to mind just with the angularity of the guitar riffs is, is a band like that. And Rep- Replicant's awesome. Um, of course, there's Black Anvil, which are like, you know, my good friends. And, and those guys are, you know, obviously they're, they're a band that's been around for like 10 years. But they're always writing good material. And they're always like pushing forward, you know, making things like unique within the black metal kind of genre. You know, mm-hmm. and that's and then there's like. Which is like. As like some of the dudes from Shutdown. I do I do the Necromaniacs podcast with Mike, and um, yeah, dude, I love that podcast. Oh, cool, man! Thanks. You know, I, I want to do more episodes. I just think I, I mean more frequently. I'd like to start doing maybe two a month or something. But you know, it's uh, 
schedules are hard to coordinate sometimes. Oh, tell me about it. So are, are my buddy Matt that I usually do the podcast with, you know, him being all the way in Australia, that is so hard to coordinate. Because oh, <laughs> the time changes and stuff. It's like you know, different hemisphere, totally, you know. That's crazy. I finally, yeah, I finally figured out how it works. So, like, where he's at right now, it's Tuesday 5 a.m. Or, no, 7 a.m., sorry. So, they're a day and two hours ahead of us, basically. Damn. That's insane, man. It took me forever to figure that out because I was always trying to, like, coordinate times. And he's like, I would get the day wrong. That was the thing I'd always fuck up. He'd be like, yeah, we're going to record Saturday. So, I'd be here on my Saturday, and it would be his Sunday already. And he'd be like, nah, mate, I'm busy. <laughs> You guys got to start using that. What the hell is that universal? Uh, like, there's that time clock that's like where all t- time clocks are based off of. I can't remember. It's like, you know, it's like uh, like right now, if we were in that using that system, it would be like 1700 hours Z. You know, if you started coordinating huh. your calendars with that, I think there would be no question as to what time you're going to be doing your thing. <laughs> I have to look into that. I've never heard of that one. Yeah, it's like some military shit. It's like, or like, um, you know, if you're going to like launch like a, you know, a campaign against another country or something like that, they coordinate all that sort of stuff, all those military operations on that time scale. Okay. (laughs) You know, some global inter, you know, continental, uh, you know, campaign or something. It's all coordinated that way. So, you know, your podcast is on par with that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's kind of why like I've pretty much all like the interview or when we have guests on, it's only me now because I just can't I can't coordinate three different time zones, and I'm just like, well, you know what? I can carry this myself. Admittedly, there's been a few times where like I've kind of just like gone through the motions on a few of them because I just couldn't get like anything out of the guys. Like they weren't really interested in having a conversation or anything like that. So, you know, I've had, like, a couple episodes that didn't go great, but they still turned out okay, I guess, um, from what I, what other people told me. But, yeah, I was just – I told him, I was like, hey, man, like, you are a part of this podcast, but, like, I, I don't want to miss out on these opportunities. So if it's okay with you, I'm just going to do them by myself. And he was like, go for it. I That's fine with me. If I can be on one, I'll be on one. But most likely, not going to be able to. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's it must be tough, man. Like it's it's harder than you think. Like when there's another person involved, and even if you're like proximity-wise close, I mean, you got to do yeah. Australia. I can't even imagine trying to coordinate that. And then there's funny because there's podcasts out there that I listen to that have like three people, like you know, like some of the other horror podcasts, for example. Like um, you know, there's this one called Who Goes There podcast that I listen to, and there's like three guys, you know, and they all mm-hmm. live in San Diego. But I know how hard it is just to get, you know, me and Mike coordinated. And I can't, I'm sure they run into the same things, yet they do their episodes every week, which is insane to me. Like, they find a way to do it. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I was talking to this dude on Reddit a few months back, and I started to do a podcast with him, and it was like a horror based podcast. And we did like three or four episodes, and then it just like, he just stopped contacting me to do it and so <laughs> I just kind of gave up on it but it, it was fun I don't know I just kind of liked I like recording stuff so I was like hey I love horror movies why not let's do this um but yeah it's it's so hard to coordinate that stuff and he he's only in Texas so it's only like an hour ahead of me yeah or us I guess 
but um yeah man your your necromaniacs podcast um you did the last one it was terrifier and what what was the other movie oh oh yeah just now oh, now that it comes up it. i just remembered it was pie whack it pie whack it and yeah, yeah. terrifier yeah I was really pleasantly surprised by by uh, by that movie. I'd seen Terrifier already like years ago, but I kind of watched Pie Wacket like on a whim, not really knowing anything about it. And man, that was that was a pretty good movie. Pie Wacket was like probably one of the better films I've seen in a few years, man. Because it was like so minimalist too. I mean, there really was like. You only the, the creature itself, and whether and it's debatable whether or not the, the there actually was a demon. Is only in, yeah. there's only two scenes, and one in, in one scene it's like this weird shadow, and in another scene it's like this kind of J horror style, you know, it's kind of like you know demon or whatever, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, and you know you can debate it. Like Mike actually believes that there was uh, a demon. And I don't. I actually think that it was all internal, you know. So I don't know. What's your take on that? Uh, you know, I I like the more psychological aspect of it that the demon wasn't real and she was just kind of dealing. You know, if you look at like the subtext, she was dealing with some kind of trauma, and that was like embodiment of it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I liked I liked the aspect of it to where it made you think a little bit of like whether it was real or not. I always dig that more in a horror movie than you know like jump scares or i don't know i'm in a slasher film so i can't really talk bad about those not to terrifier is like the, the the new millennium slasher film man really in my opinion but yeah, yeah i love it them too you know but the more psychological yeah, stuff is definitely what... my favorite stuff though in horror films yeah do you so what do you think about films that aren't like overtly horror kind of like I know you kind of talked about this on your podcast podcast as well with Get Out like it's not overtly a horror movie per se but it's just got it's got those themes and feelings and I guess like the the uh, what's the word I'm looking for here I guess kind of the same thing with like the metaphors and subtext of like horror involved in there but it's not necessarily like a straightforward horror movie do you feel like that's going to be like the new wave of horror movies coming out or, you know, is it still always going to be like a mix of slashers and gore porn or whatever you want to call well, it? I kind of, that kind of stuff. And, I kind of feel like those films have always existed though, really. And, um, I mean, look, go, go, let's go back to silence of the lambs. Okay. That's like mm-hmm. base. You can look at that as a horror film or you can look at it as like a police procedural movie. Really? You know, there's like all these forensics things going on and, but what makes it a horror movie, I think, is the there's like specific set pieces in that. I, it's funny because I've been thinking about this subject quite a bit over the last couple of weeks about what actually makes a horror film. And it's like you can watch, um, you know, like a, a crime film, OK, and something mm-hmm. with cops and like, you know, the mob or whatever, or, or even a movie about a serial killer, you know, now how they how they actually tell the story I think is more what makes it a genre piece than just a regular drama you know I mean there's like certain tropes and like certain set pieces that are present in horror films and I think that is really what differentiates those films from 
you know, like just a drama, you know. So with that said, I feel like Silence of the Lambs is like definitely a horror film because there's things in that that are horrific and are presented to you in a way that's consistent with a genre film as opposed to just a drama, you know. So now I think that like that people are playing with that sort of um, atmosphere a little bit more successfully these days, you know what I mean? Like Pie Wacket, it's like Pie Wacket could be just a psychological film if you look at it in one sense, but then it also has the set pieces of a horror movie, you know, like the, even if the demon wasn't real, even if that was just a figment of her imagination, the presentation yeah. of it was still done in a way that is consistent with the horror genre. So I don't know, that's just my take on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because like I I can't recall besides like that movie what the real like last decent horror movie I saw, especially this year so far. Like I haven't really seen anything else that was like mind blowing to me. Um, although I didn't see A Quiet Place, I heard that was pretty decent. I heard mixed reviews about know. that. I heard I heard some people say it was really cool. Some people hate it. So I, I haven't seen it yet myself. I, I want to check it out just to make my own decisions about it. Yeah. And I think the only movie I'm looking forward to this year, like horror-wise, horror is um, the A24 movie coming out with Francis McDormand. I can't think of the name of it right now. It's oh, like yeah. Changeling or something like that. There's a couple, actually. There's... um. There's Hereditary, which looks really interesting. Um, there's uh, and, and once again, this isn't. I don't even know if this is like uh, a uh, a horror film yet, because I mean I haven't seen it, but it's being packaged like a horror film. Is like you were never really here. You know, it's like yeah. That once again, and that that brings up another great example of, you know, Taxi Driver. Was that a horror film? Is that a movie about a serial killer? Is it? What is that? I mean, that could have easily been presented like like maniac or something like that you know what i mean huh and like taxi driver if you like if you took taxi driver and had someone else reconstruct the narrative of that and made it like you could make it like maniac and maniac is a a horror film you know i mean you can all horrific things especially the end the end of uh of of um, taxi driver you know but it's a drama that's that's a good point i never really thought about that totally and that's and the reason why I bring that up is because you were never really here is being uh, kind of pitched as like the the modern taxi driver, you know what I mean, and uh, hmm. and and also it's like but it also is being sort of um, you know picked up by a lot of the horror uh, you know outlets. They're like writing about it and it's being promoted, you know, through different you know that sort of world. You know what I mean? So I'm really interested to check that out. You know. Like the trailer makes it look like a yeah. horror film, you know. Yeah, I think the only other thing besides that that I'm super like I'm I'm excited about, but I want to keep my expectations low is the uh, Halloween movie coming out this year. You know, I'm on the same page as you, man, because it's like I definitely am going to see it. I mean, it's not Rob yep. Zombie, who I fucking hate Rob Zombie films, and it's supposed to take place on the heels of Halloween too, like as a direct continuation of that my understanding and Mm -hmm. um i think i think it might be good man i mean i'm not a big fan of like you know these like sort of reimaginings that happen but it's like this doesn't seem like a like a reboot of this of the series it's like taking picking up where where 
the, the last legitimate Halloween film kind of let leaves off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you do you know who uh, Mick Garris is? Yes, I do. Uh, do you listen to his podcast at all? You know what? I ha- I don't, but I think a lot of people have recommended Mick Garris to me, and I think that I should start checking it out. So he did have on John Carpenter, and they briefly talked about the the movie. And I gotta admit, like you know, John's he he's known to like be pretty straight up and not bullshit if he doesn't like something. And he was like, "No, I think they got it. Like oh, they wow. they got the tone. They they got what I wanted to do with it later on. And he's even like doing the music for the movie too. So if if he's that on board to where he's writing the music for it as well, I mean, that's why I'm like I'm excited, but I just want to keep my expectations low so I won't be like super disappointed. But I I don't think I'll be disappointed to be honest. Now now I'm I'm even more excited now because John Carpenter's doing the sound, the score for it. That makes me even more excited about it because I think like what like what you said. If he's if he's down, if he's into it, if he's on board with that shit, then I'm like. I, I got to be on board then too. Cause John Carpenter created yeah. know, my favorite slasher character, you know, Michael Michael Myers. You know what I'm saying? If he can, <laughs> I, that's my favorite all time slasher character. Seriously, you know, to be honest with you, I, more, more so than like Jason Voorhees or Leatherface or any of those others. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the daytime scenes in the first Halloween film are like by by far like the creepiest. I think you know what I mean. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, it's, you know, because that was the thing that later horror movies ended up doing the opposite was you only ever saw them at night. Yeah. And it was rare that you ever saw a killer out in the daytime. And it made him seem a lot more real, you know, that this guy was stalking the streets in the daytime. It wasn't a boogeyman like he later, like, became in the later sequels, you know. Like, you pretty much only ever saw him at night in the the later movies. Yeah, you know, and they, they, they... They got crazy with the stories, you know what I mean? And he became this, like, like a, basically like a zombie, really. I mean, he was, like, unstoppable, like, this weird monster. And the, the creepiest part about uh, Michael Myers in the first two movies was, like, I mean, just going back to the first one, which is my favorite, where he's, like, the, you know, when, when Laurie Strode is walking home, it's, like, when he just kind of steps out behind her, like, two two or three blocks away, it's, like, this like idyllic suburban environment gets turned into like this nightmarish kind of, you know, just by him stepping out and just being this almost nondescript guy who could be like, you know, like a repairman or some dude who like cuts lawns or something. Cause he has that work jacket on and he's just, you know, the mask obviously differentiates him from that, but it's like, he, he looks so ordinary in some ways and, transforms this neighborhood which is like you know suburban safety secure nothing ever happens in the suburbs everyone just goes home and you know they have dinner together and this whole you know, like narrative that you take as being true the presence of this you know stalking this young girl through through the streets of that that neighborhood is like completely changes your whole take on what that environment is like you know what I mean yeah, and I think the time it was made and came out to was really, really ahead of its time. If you think about like it being out in the 70s, 
I mean, that was like that was game changing. If you look at most of the other stuff that was out around that time, you know, it was all serious, super serious dramas. It wasn't about like a guy going around murdering people in a in a small little you know suburban neighborhood. Yeah, you know, and it's like it just like yeah, like this brooding, like the brooding vibe of of the those daylight scenes are really you know that that's what really wins me over with that whole you know that movie and, and the character and that sort of stuff and the funny thing is like you remember the end where she rips the mask off of off of uh, Michael Myers <laughs> yeah the guy it's just a regular dude under there it's just they, there's no makeup on the guy's not wearing any makeup it's just a guy with a regular face you know just you know people will people will yeah. maintain that he had this horrific face but I saw this I forgot one of the documentaries or it was like an extra or something like that. They they interviewed the guy who played Michael Myers back in the first, you know, um, I can't remember his name either, the first movie. And he's like, yeah, I didn't have any makeup on. It was just my face. And, you know, it's it's a little funny because everyone everyone will, will say that I was this deformed like guy, but I didn't have any makeup on. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just your, your mind. Yeah, he just, he just looked like a very large dude. That's about it. You know, he just had a very prominent size to him and that made him equally as scary yeah you know. but yeah i'm looking forward to it and you know i love uh john carpenter's musical output too so i'm excited that there's going to be like oh, some yeah. record probably that's released soon with like the, the score on it so that's cool yeah that's kind of like after i listened to that it kind of changed me like i was already like i was on the fence about it you know but I, I figured like Danny McBride and you know he's his heart's in the right place I would assume, and then you know when they showed the first couple pictures I was like damn okay like they're making this look way too cool I don't know we'll see and yeah I don't know I guess just hearing it from him I was like all right I'm gonna get excited but I'm just gonna I'm just not gonna hype myself up about it too much yeah Danny McBride surprisingly is 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 like a, a big proponent of the genre man i think he did a pretty good job in uh the alien film too you know i mean i agree yeah yeah i mean that movie had its flaws but i thought it was pretty good man to be honest with you i i think so too man i don't i don't get what it is why everybody wants to shit on like the prometheus and the alien sequels like i don't know what everybody's expecting like do they just want more of the same like aliens or i mean you can only do those movies so many times and I, I like I uh, Prometheus I, particularly because it kind of goes into that whole like panspermia idea of like you know this um, intergalactic origins of the human race and that kind of stuff. That it touched on that, and I'm, anything that has to do with that is like totally on board with that kind of stuff. Yeah, and maybe that's part of the problem. People didn't really want to think about like the philosophical kind of ideals of that being a possibility of our existence you know just like a little bit too much of a thinking movie <laughs> yeah it might have went over a couple people's heads you know what i mean so yeah it, you know probably the people that went to the films that were that were texting on their phones um probably missed the point of that you know what i mean <laughs> it's like a big pet peeve that oh man i was about to say that annoys me to no end just people that fucking oh and they bring kids too and they bring kids to the movies uh yeah i'm one of those guys that just like if anybody's making a noise i'll just be like shut up stop what you're doing (laughs) 
Well, Mike and I went to go see the Blair Witch um, in the theater, in this this theater in Brooklyn uh, called the Pavilion, which was like in its final days. Like it's it, it got bought by uh, by Nighthawk Cinema, which is awesome. It's like Nighthawk is like a similar similar to the um, to the Alamo. You know, it's like this kind mm-hmm. of um, you know curated uh, you know really cool experience where there's like you can order food and hang out and it's comfy and there's like a chair where you can sit that's like not you don't have some dude like right on top of you you know what i mean so um nighthawk bought this theater and the pavilion has been around for you know i used to love going there and then the last few years they just like it just fell into like disrepair and um so mike and i went and i literally felt like this might have been the last day it was open because there, there weren't even like they had removed the rugs in in the theater and they didn't have all the seating in place either they removed all the seats and there were just these like weird almost like like living room easy chairs that people were sitting on it was like so bizarre there was no jeez there was no trailers they weren't playing any coming attractions and there was no music like you know like when you go to sit down in a movie theater the lights are kind of dim and there's some you know music playing we just yeah. literally walked into this room that was like dimly lit no no rugs these weird chairs no trailers and silent no music and there was like like it was me and mike and then like these two other just like three i think there was like three people came in and like five minutes into the beginning of the of the first uh you know of the film the person literally started talking on their phone. Oh my god! Yeah. And I was like, "Hey, get off your phone!" Like I actually, I did that. You know what I mean? And she's like, "I'm not on my phone." I'm like, "Yes, you are," because I can fucking hear you. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, that it's that type of thing which I hate. You know, it's like there's other people around you. You know what I mean? It's just like have some sort of common, you know, common courtesy. The movie was terrible. Though. Yeah. I, don't know if, I don't know if you saw Blair Witch. It was it was garbage. I thought. The the original one or the that well, the, sequel the one that, slash the one that remake. Came out. Yeah, the one that came out like a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was very very terrible. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. It was a kind of a waste of an evening, really. Yeah, there were so many points where I was watching it and I was just like, "What? What are any of these characters' motivations right now?" and uh, yeah, I don't know. I just had so many things I started to pick apart, and I was just like, "Oh man, I am wasting my time watching this." But I'm not gonna not finish it. Kind of one of those people that once I start it, I don't, I don't care how bad it is. I just have to get through it. I'm with you on that, man. Just, just being a completist, you know, trying to get to the other side is always good. Yeah. 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 So I anyway, think I'm the sorry, last dude. movie I can remember that people were talking in. I went to go see uh, Green Room. And there was all these little kids, like younger kids, like they had to have been like 15, 16 years old sitting down for me. And they're all just sitting there like on their phones taking pictures of each other. And it's, you know, the movie's getting really tense at this point because it's about where they're stuck in the room and, you know, all the bad shit's starting to happen. And I'm just like, I literally walked out and I'm like, yo, these kids are in this this theater taking pictures. Can you just get them out of here? And like, I kind of knew the the owner fairly well because they used to put on like these horror movies every month and everything. And 
you know, you get to talk to him pretty often. He went right in there, told him to get the fuck out, and I was just like, yes, good, I win. <laughs> good. I, I, and I think I look at this, the youth of today, and I kind of feel like we're kind of fucked, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like a very cynical approach, but I'm like, man, kids' attention spans, they're fat, they're out of shape. They, they're just, we're fucked. You know, there's no way around it, man. You know? Yeah. I worry about myself getting in that way too. Like I'm not like terribly young, but I'm not terribly old either. But I see myself getting in those patterns sometimes. And I'm like, oh man, I got to be a little bit more mature than this. Like go out and do something, read a book, get off your phone. It's, it's nice to kind of break away a little bit. Actually, uh, from the beginning of this year, I actually been reading quite a bit more than I have in the last I mean I've always been really into reading but it's like you know with all different forms of media that are available these days like podcasts you know listening you know watching videos like things like that it's like I noticed that the last couple years I haven't been reading as many books but my my one of my new year's resolutions this year was to read more books like actually get you know read and as opposed to just like listening to like podcasts or audio versions of things and I feel like in a weird way, it, it kind of like supercharged my creativity a little bit more. I feel like you know, I read, a, I don't know, I've already read like a ton of books since the beginning of the year. And I think that it just kind of opens up like this pathway in your brain to like, it, it just processes information differently. You know, because people talk about audiobooks and they're like, oh, you know, it's cool. Audiobooks are cool, but there's no mm-hmm. substitute for the sort of power that you get from reading the, the, the words on the page and having your brain conjure up the images. You know what I mean? I feel like that's a really necessary uh, process that has to happen inside your brain. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree. Because I grew up like always reading stuff. I know it's my, my reading has definitely waned over the past couple of years. But even when I was touring, man, like all I would do is like, you know, I know it's not necessarily a book, but I would read regular books and I'd also read like just nothing but comic books for you know a solid five years I must have read like everything that you can imagine like I just devoured it and then yeah like over the past few years like I've I've read I've been trying to read more books but I usually only end up reading like one or two books a year and that's it but I still think that's probably better than most people if I really had to sit and think about it I don't think that many people read books I have sadly I think I have to agree with you on that yeah, comics definitely count, man. I, I, I mean, I'm a huge comic book guy too, and and I think that, I mean, I attribute some of the early, you know, like my dad used to read comics to me before I even learned how to read. Before I was like, when I was like a young, young kid, I specifically remember my dad reading Thor comics to me, and lo and behold, I just ordered a uh, Norse mythology book, and it's like, it's like, you know, what I think in some ways. You don't have the budgetary constraints that you would to make a film. Like, say, the Alan Moore Swamp Thing, like, stories. Mm-hmm. Like, how the hell are they going to make a movie out of that? You have, like, I don't know, it was like 40-something issues that I think Alan Moore wrote. And it's like, you can never make, you can never tell that story in any medium but comic books, in my opinion. You know, the way that he did it. Yeah. I think that's the case with like pretty much all of Alan Moore's stuff. Yeah. Uh, especially Watchmen. Yeah, Watchmen, Ugh. definitely. You know, I didn't hate Favorite the... comic of all time, but man, 
that movie is just not good. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't hate it, but it's the the books, the comic books of the Watchmen comic was far superior. But I don't know. I, I didn't hate it. I just had to look at it as a different thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's sequences, especially the Doctor Manhattan sequences. I I literally felt like he was a just I don't know the way he like had that tone of voice when he's on Mars and he's doing that scene where he's like talking about like I'm in 1940 and this man is here and we're doing this and you know that out of sync time memory thing that he does in the yeah. comic I felt like that translated so well to the movie that I was like this is exactly what I like envisioned you know obviously the pictures are there but even in my head when I feel it unfolding and the tone of voice and how he's just completely disinterested in everything that's going on except for these flashes of time yeah the movie captured that perfect but there's other things that just failed and the ending was not right yeah i agree with that you know but it's also the other thing too is like you remember in the comic there was um that other narrative that was going on of of the kid reading the comic of that storyline with the raft and you know the ship yeah the black freighter that's it the black freighter i couldn't remember the name of it that's fucking awesome, man. That would, and you know, I know that they would never be able to do that in in the in the movie. Nope. That would just be like you'd have like a five hour like movie or something. And that that goes to what I was saying about comics being superior to films because it's like, you know, you could do a you could do like a five issue miniseries that would probably take about eight hours to make into a film. You know what I mean? And it's like you'd have to make like a a, a TV sh- show out of it, and then that in and of itself puts limitations on what you can do with budgets and all this other stuff you know especially if it's like you know science fiction or if there's some sort of like uh element to it that is like technological or magic or supernatural to it you know you'd be constrained by a budget you'd have to work with yeah yeah that's why i'm always on the fence with like whatever's gonna happen with the sandman stuff because I don't think it'll work as a movie, and I think it'll work a little better as a TV show, but even then, like, how much better, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with that, you know? So so where can uh, where can people, like, find you, man, like, as far as, like, website, iTunes, like, all that sort of stuff? Well, uh, I actually just got done redesigning our entire website and our whole art direction, so it's all more in line with what I want to go with like the look of the podcast. So the website is heavy metal history podcast.com. Uh, from there you can find links to iTunes, Spotify, or you can literally listen to the episodes right there on the website. Uh, they're streaming on there. Uh, Facebook is at heavy metal history. Twitter is at heavy metal pod and Instagram is at heavy metal history. So pretty straightforward across the board there. Cool. And there's also the Dustin Wildcard uh, Instagram account. <laughs> yep. If you guys want to follow that, you can just uh, see me post memes and sad stuff and me getting stuck in the rain all the time, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Yeah, I don't, I don't really get on my personal social media too much, but feel free to follow it. I don't care. And uh, for Everything Went Black, it's everythingwentblackmedia.com. Uh, you can also catch the Necromaniac stuff on there too, uh, and similar yeah. similar to to Dustin, it's um, you can stream the episodes on the website, or you can check it out on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, like all the your normal 
podcast listening stuff. Uh, there's an Everything Went Black Facebook. There's uh, Mike Hill. Oh, there's, actually, it's that's not correct anymore. I just recently changed my Instagram hand, handle to Everything Went Black underscore Mike Hill. So you can find me there. Yep. Uh, Twitter, Mike Hill HQ. And uh, I think that's it. Facebook, Everything Went Black. And there's also me on Facebook as Michael Hill. And uh, that's pretty much all the spots. Yeah, you guys definitely need to go check out his podcast. I, I like his perspective on things. And, you know, when you have your interviews, man, like uh, the one that got me hooked on your podcast is when you had Stavros on. Oh, yeah. That dude is so cool. I love listening to him talk. And, like, the fact that he came on my podcast, like, twice, I was just like, yeah, he's a cool dude. Uh, another one you did was, like, with Eric Rutan. That was awesome. And, uh, oh, fuck, what was his name from Woe? Oh, Chris. Yeah, yeah, Chris. Chris, yeah, yeah, that that was a great one too, man. That was, oh, that was such a good one. Yeah, if you if you love heavy metal, you have to go check out his podcast. So, hopefully, you guys will enjoy both of them now. And likewise, if you love heavy metal, you got to check out Heavy Metal History. And like, one of the things that I'm most impressed by is the attention to detail and just like the sheer like hubris that you have for like trying to do what you're doing man because it's like damn that's like a huge undertaking man it's like the uh you know it's a pretty epic epic undertaking to try to chronicle all these things and now especially since you said you're just picking these years it's a lot of work man yeah and i and i appreciate that yeah, I think it was important, man. I, I mean, the only thing I knew was like one other person had done it and it was in book form. And I was like, well, let's do an audio form and hopefully I can figure out ways to make it interesting and maybe funny and keep people's attention. So that's the goal anyways. And so far it's working out pretty good. So Right on, man. Dude, it was awesome to get to talk to you again. I'm fucking stoked we did this. Totally, we'll have man. to do it again sometime. Yeah, thank you for taking some time and doing this. And it was a lot of fun. And thanks everyone for listening. And I uh, hope to see you guys soon.